Uh, my name is Johnny. I'm the campus pastor here. One of the first things they try to teach you when they teach you public speaking is don't, uh, don't mess with your glasses. Don't mess with your microphone. Then, you know, there's a pandemic and you got to wear a mask and you got to do all So I find it's best to just bring attention to it as opposed to messing with it. And then it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Now we've talked about it. We're not hiding anything from each other. So we're good. Uh, like I said, my name is Johnny. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, for those of you joining us online, welcome. For those of you here in the room, I think Sean already gave you a shout out for being brave enough to weather, uh, I, I think it's a negative two true temperature. I don't even know what the wind chill was. It's horrifying, you guys. February in Iowa is a very unique <laughs> type of uh, experience, isn't it? But I'm grateful that you are with us this morning, no matter how it is that you are joining us today. Um, I've talked a lot before about um, my wife's family and their affinity for telling stories and how I uh, feel very fortunate to have been grafted into the storytelling kind of ethos of who they are as a people. They love to tell stories, and now there are stories about me as well, and that gives me a lot of joy. They're usually not, you know, very, uh, you know, nice stories, but they're stories, you know? I'm part of the crew now, and I, and I like that. Uh, and I was thinking about stories this week as I prepared this sermon, because we're looking at the book of Mark, and Mark is just story after story after story of Jesus. And all of these stories tell us something about Jesus. And I was thinking about the stories that get told in my wife's family and how the stories that get told about certain people are always revealing something about that person's personality. You wouldn't tell a story about like a one-off time that that person acted so out of character, right? It's like the stories become uh, how we understand each other's personality. So the, the favorite story I think that uh, gets told about me is when we went to Wrigley Field on a vacation. This was the first time that I was vacationing with my in-laws. We went to Wrigley Field. I'm a huge Cubs fan. And I celebrated this, uh, this momentous, you know, occasion by eating, I think, everything on the menu at Wrigley Field. It was pizza and cotton candy and peanuts and hot dogs and then a lot of Mountain Dew. <laughs> and it was hot and I was very worked up and excited about the whole thing. And as we drove back from the game, I didn't feel very well. Uh, and we had to pull over in a mall parking lot in Schaumburg, Illinois, so that I, uh, I don't want to be graphic here, but I had to throw up, okay? And it, it looked like everything that I had had that day. So I guess I was graphic after all. I apologize. Uh, but the story gets told and retold, and it says something about my personality, which is I don't usually know when to stop when we're having a good time, right? Like, I go hard when we're having a good time. We're going to go to Wrigley Field. I'm going to eat everything on the menu. You know what I'm saying? And this actually happened to me two years ago. I went to the... Uh, College World Series with a friend, and this happened again. I did it again, okay? So, like, this, is, uh, this tells you something about my personality and who I am. Uh, our stories, I think, define us, and our personalities define our stories, you know? It's all kind of twisted in there together. So our passage this morning tells us a story about Jesus, and I think it reveals a little bit about who Jesus is. But as I read the story, I thought this reveals something about Jesus, but it also reveals something about me. And I think no matter who you are this morning, it will reveal something about you as well. So let's get into it today. Uh, the book of Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 29 and go through verse 39. 
So Jesus has been uh, in the city called Capernaum. He's been in the synagogue, and he's been doing some teaching and some healing. And that's where this passage picks up. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. For the rest of this sermon, Simon, I'm going to refer to Simon as Peter because it's easier. We all know Peter. Who's the Simon guy? It's the same guy. Uh, So Mark calls him Simon. I'm going to call him Peter. Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. I'm sorry, Peter. (laughs) And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've been doing this Calling Together series since uh, Advent, but we really haven't gotten into Mark very much. Uh, and I've joked, if there's Old Testament to be preached, I'm probably going to preach the Old Testament. But this week, we're kind of getting into the Mark uh, portion of the lectionary. And I just want to give us a little bit of background on Mark so that we can understand where we are. Uh, scholars are pretty well agreed that Mark was the first gospel account written, and so it has a pretty big influence on, on what we find in the other gospel accounts. Mark is very unique among the gospels for not really featuring an origin story for Jesus. There's no birth narrative, or as in the case of what we see in the book of John, there's no like theological outline of Jesus being there at the beginning. Mark opens with John the Baptist and then immediately transitions to the baptism of Jesus. We meet Jesus as a 33-year-old man striking out on his mission. And so that's where Mark begins. And Mark just drives the pace from there. It's just story after story after story. I was thinking about the old-fashioned uh, like AP wire machine, like the news machine, and all day long it would just be like ticking new news stories up, like extra, extra readable. I was, I was going to do like a newsies voice, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to kill you guys with that. But that's what I think when I think of Mark. It's just this constant pace. It's just this go, 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 go. Mark is just moving the story along. And he doesn't add a lot of color or exposition to his stories, and that really shows today. In these 10 verses, we we in some ways get three distinct stories, but they're just given to us so fast that we can barely catch our breath. First, Jesus shows up to the house of Peter and heals Peter's mother-in-law. That's a big, dramatic kind of event, but it's like immediately we're already on to the next thing, which is people hear about this and they all gather around the door. And then Jesus is there casting out demons and healing people well into the night. And then immediately we're dropped into story number three, where Jesus wakes up early the next morning, it says, while it was still dark, and goes out to a secluded place to pray, only to be found by his disciples, where they have a short conversation, and then bang, the narrative moves on to something else. It's just fast, 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 fast. Even though the story moves very quickly, there is a progression to it. The first part sets up the second part, sets up the third part. Jesus demonstrates his power by healing Peter's mother-in-law, 
which then drives people to come show up and get healed as well. Story one creates a very natural progression to story two. But the movement between the second story and the third story seems a little bit strange to me. Jesus is absolutely rocking and rolling. I mean, like, people are showing up. Jesus is doing his thing. The buzz is spreading. There's people talking about him, and it's like a marketer's dream. It started with word of mouth, and now it's blowing up, right? Like every marketing firm in the world wants to create this kind of buzz around something, and Jesus has it. It's just like happening right here. It's just taking off. And so in story three, we see Jesus with a prime opportunity to capitalize. He goes out, gets a little rest, and now Jesus has the opportunity to turn around and go back into town and keep the buzz going, keep the momentum happening. These people love him. He can do this thing. He can build up the mythos of this Jesus legend a little bit more. And that's why his disciples come to find him. They're actually telling him, like, everybody's looking for you, Jesus. We got to go back. Imagine how excited they are, right? They've cast in with this guy, Jesus, and now it's paying off. Like, they bet on Jesus back when nobody knew who Jesus was, and now all of a sudden, Jesus is like the hottest happening guy in all of Galilee and Capernaum and all the places that he is. And so they're excited. They want Jesus to go back and keep on showing off. They want to be part of this movement. And then Jesus does something that his disciples are going to find out he does a lot. He chooses to walk away from the crowds and the buzz, and to move on and take his message and his ministry to someone else. And that, that movement and that decision between the second part of the story and the third part of the story, to me, seems very strange. Like, theologically, I understand it. Like, theologically, I can explain why Jesus could not just, like, camp out in this town and keep on doing the thing. Because he even says, like, I've come to spread this message. I have to go to the next place. I understand that theologically, but personally, I think it's strange. And that's because Jesus chooses the exact opposite path that I would have taken, right? If stories tell us something about personality, this tells us something about Jesus, but it also tells me something about me, because I very much like to be the center of attention. I know that's surprising for a guy who chose this right here as his career path, right, that I would enjoy that, but I do. I like that. I like it. I like making people happy and making people feel good. I mean, that's what Jesus was doing. He's healing people, right? Like, I love that. I love being around a lot of people. The pandemic has been hard because I haven't been able to get my extrovert on enough, right? Like, Jesus was the center of all of this. That sounds awesome to me. And when I read the story about Jesus opting out of all of that to walk away, it seems strange because it is not what I would do. This particular story about Jesus is not a reflection of my personality. Now, there are stories about Jesus that I feel like, yeah, I do understand that. When Jesus goes in the temple and gets mad and like cracks the whip and runs people out, I dig that story. I'll read that story again and again and again because I can imagine doing something like that, right? Something big and dramatic like that. Or even when, when Peter uh, comes to Jesus and then Peter has to, and they have like this confrontation like, I don't mind interpersonal conflict. That's story, I could see that. Like, yeah, you got to dig in sometimes and get that going. Like, I can see myself in those stories. But these stories where I can't see myself, you know, I tend to just read over them. You got to get to the good stuff, Mark. 
Like, get past this story about Jesus going to a solitary place. That's a real yawn. Like, I want to see what happens next. This story is not a reflection of my personality, so it's easier to just move on and find something that is a reflection of my personality. When I think about Jesus, and I would suggest probably when most of us think about Jesus, we want to think about Jesus being like us. So uh, one of the things that I love about our pastoral team here at, at Meredith Drive and the Bridge is the diversity of personalities that we have. Uh, every one of us is, is, and this is an obvious statement, right? Everybody's different on all, on all kinds of teams, but we all are very distinct in our approaches to how we might think about an issue, who's going to talk first in a meeting, right? Like all that different kind of stuff. And after three years of working together, I think we know each other well. And not like in that, like, I'm cordial with my coworkers, but like, we really know, like, we're friends. We love each other and we know each other well. And part of knowing each other has allowed me to come to a place where I am willing to listen and follow the lead of the other pastors on staff. And what that means is that in a lot of conversations, even if I feel like I know what I think we should do, or I know what I think our answer should be, or what our direction should be, I've come to a place where I'm able to sit back and instead listen to what maybe somebody else thinks about that. What's their perspective on this issue? How can what their uh, uh, ideas about this inform where we go? And so I'll intentionally wait to hear what Pastor Gary or Bep or Sarah or Suzanne has to say, because their opinions and perspectives really matter. i I trust them enough to follow their lead. Even if their lead ends up taking me in in a direction that I wouldn't have personally chosen for myself. And what I've learned from choosing to follow our pastors here is that there are some really great things that happen when you go in a direction different than the one that you might choose. This might be so obvious, right? But like, we all tend to think that we have the right idea, that we have the right plan. And what I've learned from following our pastors is that sometimes we might not do the thing that I would have said, that's what we should do. And when we do that other thing, man, this really resulted in awesome things happening. There are great insights to be gleaned from folks who don't always speak up the loudest or the first in a meeting. There are important perspectives to hear when I can stop for a minute and pay attention to people who don't think the way that I do. Here in the first chapter of Mark, Jesus' disciples have an opportunity to get that type of experience. I have no doubt in my mind that when Peter went out to find Jesus, what he expected was for Jesus to come back with them into the town and keep building on the buzz that they had started. When, when Peter came out and said, everybody's looking for you, I don't think Peter expected Jesus to be like, that's great, we're leaving now. Like, I think Peter was like, let's get back, man. Like, you healed my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is happy. We got to capitalize on this moment, right? Like, you don't miss the opportunity of a happy mother-in-law. We all know this, okay? So Peter's like, we got to get back here. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I've come to do. It's time to move on. And Peter gets to learn how to follow the lead of Jesus into a place that was unexpected. He gets to see the, the uh, outcome happen in a way that he didn't think it was going to happen. I, so I get, I get, I'm writing my sermon. Here we are, right? And I've written to this point, And then I realize that the, 
the conclusion here, the application to your life, what am I going to tell you to go home and think about this week? It's a little convoluted at this point, I think. Because there's a lot of different ways you can take a passage like this one. We could talk about the importance of not thinking that you know best all the time, right? Peter figured he knew what was going to happen, and it turned out that he was wrong. That's a good lesson. Uh, we, could, we could end by talking about how we shouldn't try to fit Jesus into a mold that looks like us, right? We have to wrestle with passages where Jesus just seems weird to us. Just say it out loud. That's weird, Jesus. Like, we have to wrestle with that because otherwise we're just always going to make Jesus look like us. That's a good thing that we have to keep in mind. We could even do an application to this passage about the need to not try to tie Jesus down too tightly. In this passage, the folks in town wanted Jesus to come back. They wanted Jesus for themselves. But Jesus was for everyone. And sometimes we might cling so tightly to our idea of who Jesus is that we miss seeing the way that Jesus is working and pushing out into the world around us. We might hold Jesus too tightly. I think all of those swirling potential applications swirl around this same idea. That Jesus moves in ways that are beyond our expectations or our ability to control. Jesus simultaneously looks a lot like us. We can read stories about Jesus and see ourselves reflected, right? We know that Jesus was a, a human. That's a core part of the story. And we're like, Jesus understands us. So Jesus looks a lot like us, but at the same time, nothing like us at all. Jesus says a lot of things that are very comforting, but Jesus also says things that leave us deeply uncomfortable. Jesus did things that we celebrate, and then Jesus also did things that when we read them, we're like, I wonder what that means, and maybe just like try to explain it away in our own minds, right? Because Jesus is an impossible-to-contain, impossible-to-control character and person, and still is all of those things to us. Following Jesus was a very strange and discombobulating experience for his disciples. We see over and over again in the Gospels that when they expected Jesus to go right, Jesus went left or straight or backwards, but never where they thought that Jesus was going to go. He left them perplexed and confused, and I really believe that Jesus still should be leaving us perplexed and confused today. That is a weird thing for the pastor to say, right? Like, you want the pastor to be like, Jesus is in your heart and, like, taking care of you. All that is true, but it's a very confusing thing sometimes. Following Jesus is going to leave us perplexed and confused. We're going to be uncomfortable we're going to make the wrong assumption sometimes, and it's going to leave us a little flabbergasted. I'm even trying to use weird words to describe this, discombobulated and flabbergasted, right? Like, this is what following Jesus does to us. Me personally, I, as I wrote this, I thought in two weeks, in two weeks, I'm moving. Just, I'm just moving to a different town. I'm very discombobulated by that, and that's part of the reason that I know that it's Jesus compelling me to do it because I don't understand it, and it doesn't make sense. And that's a big thing, but I believe there's always little things too. Jesus might ask us to befriend the quiet new guy at work, 
or to give away a little bit more money than we're really comfortable giving away. I don't know about if I can give that much away, Jesus. Whenever we think we've got this Jesus thing figured out, he's going to throw a curveball. But that curveball is always going to be about the same thing that we saw here in Mark chapter 1. It's always going to be about taking the message of good news out further and further and further to the next person, to the next village, to the next town, whatever it is, it's about pushing the message of the good news out further and further and further. So that's the question, I think, for us this morning as we finish up this sermon is is how is Jesus being weird in your life right now? That's a real thing that I wrote down and I'm now asking you to think about, right? How is Jesus being weird in your life, right? Like, what's that place where you're like, that can't, come on, man, that can't, that's too weird. I don't understand that. That's leaving me discombobulated, right? Where is the place where Jesus is pushing you out asking you to do something, asking you to go someplace? What expectation is he moving against right where you are right now? Because as weird as it is, with Jesus, it's always worth it. This was Mark chapter 1, and Jesus is with his disciples, and, uh, and they, you know, this is their first experience of like the Jesus weirdness. And they, they, they keep on following him, and you get through the book of Mark, and then they realize later, like, this whole weird Jesus thing is going to be totally worth it. But they don't realize that right away. And maybe that's part of the thing for us today is, like, we really have to believe it in order to do it. But Jesus does this weird thing with them um, that we find in Mark chapter 14. They're sitting down for what the disciples think is just supper. But it turns out, that we call it the Last Supper, right? And Jesus sits down with them. And once again, this is probably one of those moments where they're like excited. They're in Jerusalem. They've come to the center of it all. Like there's probably this anticipation. They're probably feeling like, what's Jesus going to do? Like this is it. They think this has got to be it, right? Because like they're in Jerusalem. They've done it. They've been with Jesus. And then he starts saying weird stuff. He starts talking weird again because that's what Jesus does. And he says this to them. And these are the words that we're going to remember when we take this today. You can open up your little, uh, your little top and pull out the, the top of this thing. And imagine you're there with Jesus in the upper room, and he's just opened the cellophane. No. <laughs> um, you know, you're with Jesus, and you think this is it. Finally, the weirdness is over. We're going to get what we came here for. And you're eating, and then Jesus takes the bread, and it says this. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. And they start eating it, and they're wondering, What in the world does that mean? This is my body. Like, why is Jesus talking about this? And it says, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks... He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine 
until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God, and they drink it together. I think a lot of times we, uh, we, we, we become kind of like um, <laughs> we vaccinated, how's that for a word, against the weirdness of what we do together, right? We become a little bit, you know, it's like old hat, right? We take the, we take the cup, we drink the, the juice and all this. It was weird when they did it because of what Jesus said, and I, I'm going to say it, it's weird today. It's supposed to be weird. It's supposed to make us stop and think, did Jesus, like, did Jesus really do this for us? And even more than that, right? Like Mark 1, did Jesus really do this for everyone? For the whole world? Like, like God came and became a man, and that man was really weird, and then he died. for us. And then he said, here's the deal. I'm going to fill you up with my spirit and now you can go and be weird like I was. That's it this morning. That's the question. I'll say it again. Where's Jesus being weird in your life? Right? We drank it together. We all did this weird thing together so that we could go out there and, and be weird. And do things that move against expectation, things that make us uncomfortable, things that might not make sense on paper, but things that are all about what this is all about, which is the good news, the blood shed for the restoration of all people in the world. Let's remember as we sing this song, and let's, uh, let's go be weird out there with Jesus.